Hello and welcome to Everyday Medicine. I'm Dr. Luke and I'd like to thank you for joining me on this podcast series where we share conversations with colleagues exploring their special interests in medicine and bringing insights, ideas and advice which I hope will be applicable for our medical practices. Well, in this episode, we're talking with an expert about simulation in healthcare. So simulation-based medical education uses simulation aids to replicate clinical scenarios with the aim of enhancing patient safety by improving medical care and competence and reducing medical errors. Although relatively new to medicine, simulation has been used for a long time in other professions such as aviation. Increasingly, medical simulation is being recognised as a very important training method for doctors, nurses and allied health staff, allowing skill acquisition through deliberate practice. In simulation, a trainee may make mistakes in a controlled, no-risk environment and learn from them without the fear of harming patients. This deliberate practice is aimed at taking medical staff from the C1, do one, teach one paradigm of apprenticeship style learning to the C1 practice many, do one simulation training model. Simulation does more though. It also builds group skills, cultivates a team culture, and it allows systems and processes to be practiced, reviewed, and improved, enhancing medical competence. Well, one of the main drivers for simulation-based learning and training relates to global study reports that show up to 10% of patients admitted to hospital suffer some kind of harm or injury through medical errors. There was a landmark report released in 1999 by the Institute of Medicine estimating then that medical errors were responsible for up to 98,000 deaths in the United States per year. Well, these figures certainly remind us that to err is human. The degree to which simulators resemble reality is referred to as fidelity, and there are examples of low-fidelity simulators such as the intravenous insertion arm model, the Rasasi Annie, whereas a moderate-fidelity simulator such as the Harvey cardiology simulator, which has features such as pulse, heart sounds and breathing, is far more realistic. But even that doesn't have the ability to talk, and there's no chest or eye movement. So there are high-fidelity simulators which do these things, and these combine part or whole body mannequins to produce physical signs and feed physiological parameters to monitors. They're designed to resemble reality. They can talk, breathe, blink, and respond either automatically or manually to physical and pharmacological interventions. They can be programmed to provide all sorts of scenarios to the trainees. The METI human patient simulator and the neural obstetric simulator are examples of these. In advanced simulation, virtual reality may also be incorporated into the simulation, which is very exciting. So I was curious to take this conversation on medical simulation further and was honoured to invite Dr. Nancy Sadka, an emergency physician and ED clinical lead in education and research and head of simulation training at the Northern Hospital in Epping as a guest for the podcast. Uh, please welcome Dr. Nancy Sadka. Dr. Nancy Sadka, thank you for joining me on Everyday Medicine. Appreciate you making time out of your busy schedule to talk about simulation in healthcare. Um, I'm really excited to talk with you about it, Nancy. And, uh, you know, I've read a little bit online about your involvement, particularly during COVID and how that's helped you and the team at, at, uh, at Northern cope with that incredible influx of patients that you had during that COVID, the, the peak of the COVID pandemic, which really the northern was at the very pinnacle of all that um, and eventually has been recognised for its um, you know, for its involvement in Victoria. So before we talk about simulation, would it be okay if I asked you about your journey 
intervention, Nancy. Tell me, how did you get here? Where have you come from? Absolutely. So thank you first for the opportunity to um, to share um, what we are doing. And I also need to start by saying that everything um, we've been able to accomplish, we've accomplished because we've had a really great team here at the Northern and I've had a great team supporting me throughout my journey. Um, so I guess I'll start by saying that I wasn't born in Australia. I um, was born in Beirut, Lebanon, and I always wanted to be a doctor. Um, and then my journey brought me to Australia to study medicine because um, my father was Australian. And um, when I initially got into medicine, I think we we had exposure to simulation as part of our training, but it was um, not consistently part of our training. And initially it was very scary to be part of simulation. Uh, and so my initial experiences were that it felt like a test. You felt like people were watching you and it didn't. Um, it was not something that you looked forward to being part of, which was very interesting. I then was lucky enough during my emergency medicine training to um, work as an education um, registrar to do that type of role. And I got more exposure to simulation and I started to see that simulation is an opportunity, uh, an opportunity to learn in a safe environment, if we can make that environment safe, an opportunity to involve the people who are in the simulation to do the work in the outcomes of the simulation. And then as my journey progressed into being an emergency physician, um, it became something that I was very passionate about learning from other people like Victoria Brazel um, at the Gold Coast Hospital and their simulation program um, and moving with simulation, recognizing that it's a tool that can be used in many ways, not just as an education tool, but also as part of quality improvement processes in the hospital. Um, and so that's how my journey led me here to the Northern to try to establish um, a program like this and a project like this. Um, and I've, I was very um, fortunate to find that support, both in the executive and in the um, staff of the hospital and people were engaged. And that's why we were able to do what we have gotten to now where we've gotten to now. It's very interesting. I, I, I get the feeling from what I've seen of the Northern Hospital that it's really, it's a happening place. It's very open-minded executive there. LED, your work in simulation. I've seen the, the handbooks that they have. It's, you know, their posts on social media. It's, uh, it's a very open-minded, progressive uh, centre. And, you know, people like you are bringing, you know, even more kind of uh, excellence along, Nancy, clearly. Because there used to be, like, I'm interested to see where you did your training. Where, where was, I didn't have any simulation when I was training. I was in the dark ages where it was all apprenticeship, you know. Yes. It was like see one, do one, teach one. Hopefully not, you know, hurt. <laughs> well, that did happen. But now I understand sort of see one, practice many, do one. That That's kind of like the approach. Where, where were you when you were training that, that's so my training was mostly at the Austin Hospital, and that's where I was fortunate enough to do the education registrar role, where we did try to incorporate simulation into um, emergency registrar education quite often. Yeah. Um, and also um, there were different courses led. I went to multiple courses attended by St. Vincent's Hospital. I think St. Vincent's had a big simulation center to start. So I think that simulation has always been... Um, a tool used by different industries, and you see it in the airline industry, yes. you see it in the military, and healthcare has taken a little longer to get to the point where we use it as part of our teaching, and now where we're using it as part of our working and part of our quality improvement. And so that's the next 
developmental phase of where this is going. Yes, Val, I think that's really interesting. How, how does it work? Just take me through what you do with, with a simulator. What, and and there are, no, there are lots of different sorts of simulators, aren't there? There's, mm-hmm. Is that the, the intravenous arm? There's yes. The Annie, the Harvey, which I think was the first, like, cardio, I think that was developed by cardiologists in Miami. And yes. then some other, like more high fidelity uh, simulators. What have you got? How, do you, how does it okay. all work? So, what we do is we run, we have an in situ simulation team. Now, what in situ means is we run simulation in the clinical space with the staff who are actually doing the work in real time. What we are trying to achieve is testing the system and looking at our systems in the actual environment where we work. So it is slightly different than simulation that is done in a simulation center where you do have an environment that is trying to replicate the real environment but isn't exactly the real environment. So we run inside your simulation, which is in the clinical space in real time with the staff who are actually doing the work. We um, target different areas in our simulation. So one area is quality improvement. We identify areas of risk or potential risk. And we run a simulation in order to either diagnose or test a process in order to mitigate that risk. And the the beauty of it is that we are involving the staff who actually do the work. So we're not actually doing it in an environment that is different than a real environment. And we're not doing it with people who are not the people who will be doing the real work. And that gives um, a very important part of what we do is the involvement of the end user, as I call it. So the staff themselves who do the work are engaged. They are able to participate. They are able to debrief and discuss, and they are able to agree on solutions, which then are translated into practice by themselves. So it's actually a, a very interesting way of doing it, that we're doing it in the clinical space in real time in the real environment with the staff where they're doing their work. Are you sort of like acting as a perceptor in that in that situation where you're overseeing it or maybe giving selective, you know, there's a vignette that you're, that you're demonstrating, but are you also uh, giving them suggestions or are you guiding them, directing them? So we call it confederating. So we, the team will come, the simulation team will come. We will sometimes have a mannequin or a simulated patient who's an actor. They will have a scenario just just like in any scenario they'd have. And um, we we get the staff to participate and then we stop the scenario at some point, depending on the different scenarios. And we discuss, we debrief together. The simulation team help to guide that debrief, but really the debrief and the discussion and the solutions and the identification of risk, that is all happening from the staff themselves. And this is the engagement of our staff. So we're giving our staff their, a voice. They are able to then say, um, this doesn't work. This process is difficult because of these things. These are the barriers. These are the enablers. And then we are able to take that, put it into a report and send it to the people who can change the processes and who can um, support the staff to improve the human factors around the people doing the work. So it's actually very enabling to the staff. And in a short amount of time, you also bring all the teams together. And one of the problems we have with education and um, in the when we do it in our protected teaching time for nurses, doctors, our clerks, we, we do this in silos. We don't bring all the teams together. But when we do a simulation in the real space in real time, we bring all the teams together. So when we're standing together talking about it after the event, You've got the doctors, the nurses, the clerks, the PSAs, 
um, the security team, the emergency management team, we are all there together as a team, coming to a team consensus. Um, and so that's a, a tremendous quality of, of the multidisciplinary team involvement that comes from this type of simulation. I also imagine that would also build, you know, a wonderful culture. It's a team culture. Because often when, from my recollection of attending emergencies, often you don't know the people that are there. You just, yes. everyone just sort of turns up. There's often a lot of people that are sort of, I won't call it voyeurism exactly, but they're sort of in the background, you know, and you think, what are you guys doing here? And But no one really, uh, there isn't that, as you say, that sort of, you know, definite team, clear hierarchy, you know, everyone perhaps, Maybe hierarchy is the wrong word, but there isn't that leadership. And yes. I can imagine having that culture will give enormous confidence. Have you measured the outcomes? Can you, can you say, oh, well, actually, we've been doing this now for a few years and we can see the improvement in our outcomes? Uh-huh. Yes. So we have, different, um, we have different projects, interestingly. We've got the quality improvement project where we focus on areas of risk. We then do a simulation, make recommendations, and then retest that with another simulation six months later in order to see if the changes have been made and the improvements have been made. So that's one of our projects. Another one of our projects, which is really growing, is our team training project where we do look at metrics. So we have specific teams, team responses, such as a trauma team response, a met call team response, a cardiac arrest response. We do repeated simulations and we look at specific areas that we want to improve, such as Um, time to the CT scanner, time to making a referral to a major trauma center, time to getting to the operating theater. Those types of things we do measure and we watch them improve with simulation. And then we also audit them in real um, events and we see them improve in real real patient management events as well. That must be incredibly satisfying to be overseeing all that. Uh, well, I was a bit shocked to see that, uh, you know, if, if from global studies, something like 10% of admitted patients suffer uh, some kind of negative outcome from medical errors. And I think I think that's talking about wards, theatres. I guess it's right across the board. So you're, you're particularly involved in emergency. Have you taken this model and said, okay, we're going to look at what's happening on the ward too because there's some big issues there, and I don't know exactly what those issues are, but... You know, that seems like a horrendous number of people that maybe are losing their lives or um, whatever because of medical uh, misadventure. What's happened on the wards and, and like in the more broader sense? So we actually, our team um, runs simulation across the whole health service. So it's not just in the emergency department. We run simulation in the wards, in our satellite um, sister hospitals. We run simulation in the operating theatre. So we have branched out into all the different areas of the hospital. Um, and there is definite definite engagement with the wards. One of the difficulties you have um, is to try to find that lead person in each one of our wards who will then um, engage and, and help us to do repeated simulation and follow up on the outcomes. But there is definite, we, we do have that engagement in some of our wards and we sim- we'd run simulations there regularly, and we do see that improvement um, in how they how they respond to the deteriorating patient is the main um, team training simulation we run. We do see an improvement in that response. Things that you mentioned, such as role allocation, early interventions that are needed, and and a space like that. Um, the the biggest thing I think across. Um, be, being able to do this across a health service is 
your resourcing capacity to be able to do that across the whole health service versus to target it into one area. Well, it's a lot of work for you, I'm sure. It's like coordinating all that. You, you know, oh, growing big hospital with 400 beds. It is, but it's extremely exciting. I think the 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 interesting thing I want to say as well is, which you mentioned earlier, is about a change of culture. Um, we talk about um, our simulations and the impact we're having and the value we're adding because it's important to add value with this. It's not just simulation for simulation's sake. It's simulation for improved patient care and patient outcomes and also to support our staff. So improved staff well-being and staff engagement. But then there is um, about a 20% you know, measurable outcomes and then there's an 80% gain there of safety, the culture of safety, the culture of we can speak up when we see a latent risk, mm. um, that we are proactive about risk. We are not just waiting for a risk event to happen, as you said, before we put our hand up the staff and say, actually, we're not comfortable with this. And many times I get that call from staff to say, I'm worried about this area. Can we run a simulation? And can we demonstrate that this is a problem? And then the people that uh, will are in our standard committees and um, in our quality committees will see the report and then we will be able to mitigate that risk. And that's the really exciting engagement from the staff across the organization. Yeah, I think that's tremendous. I think if I have to be honest, when I was a younger doctor, first year, second year, I probably was a bit frightened about resuscitation and, you know, being called to emergency, perhaps not completely understanding what I was doing. You know, I, have, I was in the medical training, you know, that's the direction I went, of course. But, you know, so I, I had an interest in all that. And the medical team was the one that was always called to resuscitation. But it took me some time. And I'd, like, I'd see what my peers, registrars, the older people, what they were doing. And my, mm -hmm. I guess they were youngish, but they were mentors for me. And I would just learn that way, which was mm -hmm. pretty bad, actually, to be honest. And there was never a debrief. There was never anyone coming and saying, we should have done this, we should have done that. So, well, that's what we should have done, ever. Like, that mm -hmm. just was not the culture. So I can... I think if people feel more confident, it's got to help outcomes enormously. Yeah. It, yeah, yeah, it does. And I think one of the important things is to try to is to make sure your staff feel safe during the process. And one of the things we've done is to make sure that we share the scenario. So when we are going to run a simulation, we actually tell our staff what the scenario is. It's not a surprise. They know it's happening at two o'clock on a Thursday. Um, and this we are not trying to test them. And I say constantly, we are not testing your clinical knowledge. You are all excellent practitioners in your discipline. What we are doing is testing our systems and testing how we work together when we come together. Because as you know, um, especially in resuscitation scenarios and in hospitals, we have that team response. And if we don't have training to understand how the team should work, then it's really hard to make that happen especially because we don't always have the same team, exactly what you mentioned previously. So it's about get, allowing the staff to have that forum where they understand that the goal is to improve the team and also where the goal is to improve the system. That takes the pressure off them personally about their individual clinical performance in that scenario. Yeah, I, I think that, that sounds you know, fantastic. And I can see you're a very energetic lady. <laughs> And a very gentle lady, and you smile a lot, and you're very disarming kind of thing. You know, I wonder what's happening in other hospitals because I would imagine perhaps the success at the Northern is you, the executive, your team, as you mentioned. But you know, 
you're the person. And what's happening in other hospitals around? You mentioned Gold Coast and Dr. Yes. Crystal. Um, uh, I don't know too much about the Gold Coast Hospital, just except it's obviously near in Las Beach. But I don't, you know, that's rather, <laughs> you know, obviously that's, uh, they must be sort of quite like leaders in this area too, if you're yes. looking up to them. But I haven't heard a lot about this simulation in other hospitals. What's happening across Australia? So definitely Queensland has, uh, I think, led the way with this, partly because Gold Coast has, and I think this happens in many hospitals in Queensland where they do run inside to simulation for yes. quality improvement. Um, it is um, it is growing across the country, definitely. So there is there are multiple hospitals now in Victoria that have programs such as this. Um, and a lot of it actually, ironically, ha was fueled by the COVID pandemic, as you brought that up earlier, in that people were doing simulation. And then when COVID arrived, we suddenly realized that we had to learn how to do things differently together quickly and how to do that better than to run simulation on a daily basis, bring the team together, troubleshoot, come up with an answer, which is actually from the teams themselves. This is the importance of it, which means it gets implemented because if um, if you write something on a piece of paper and it doesn't actually translate into practice because you haven't involved the people to do the work, it won't have any good outcome. So COVID um, set a platform for many hospitals. So the Royal Women's has a really good program. Um, Monash has a good program. We are um, growing this at the Northern. And I think multiple other hospitals are now engaging in this. And I think, actually think, and when you've asked me previously about where we are going, I think inside your simulation, quality improvement, testing of spaces and engaging the staff is going to become the standard of practice yes. in all hospitals. It's just a matter of time. Yes, I think that's really interesting. One of my friends is quite involved in doing EMST courses and other trauma courses, and he was recently at a course where the there was uh, smoke inhalation and they had actors, it, mm. so it was, it was simulated and mm. it was very, uh, very realistic. And I think they had the melange, is it, where they have for, for the yes. like, uh, a fake wound or whatever. Um, it all sounded, it sounded tremendous and uh, you got me excited about doing it. And I did wonder, we have CME uh, as physicians, um, you know, I've got criticisms and comments about the way it's done. I, I really feel that it would be wonderful if, as medicos, we could be involved in simulation. You know, how do you do good CPR? You know, you, yes. you, what, what's your, you know, because we all, some of us are out of all that. We're not doing yes. that kind of work anymore. And I, I would love to see this as part of our CME personally, yeah. where you come in. It's not necessarily, as you say, well, I'm just testing you exactly. Yeah. You're, you're sort of, you shouldn't feel necessarily that you're under a microscope, but you, you are reviewing uh, the processes. And I would love to see this rolled out as part of that. Yes. And, and some of the, the critical sort of ways in which we manage uh, patients with respiratory difficulties or cardiac difficulties, whatever it might be. But but I can see, you know, for, for young doctors who, uh, you know, who are trying even from the point of view of learning how to cannulate better, I think you, you can do this and, yes. and, and to improve their management of all these acute skills that are that are were just apprenticeship gained. I can just see how valuable that all is. Yes. And, and this is the thing, the beauty of simulation, this is what I always say, is it's a tool and you've got to decide what you're trying to achieve. And you can have skills simulation, which are things you're mentioning. You can have team training simulation. Yes. You can have um, courses run where you can um, run a simulation and then repeat and repeat. We call it recursive um, objective learning. So you just get to do it again and again until it actually um, embeds. 
And then you can have the inside to simulation where you're um, doing this in real time, real space, testing your systems uh, and engaging all the teams at the same time. So there's there's so much growth that can happen. It's a great tool to be used as long as you have um, clarity about what the outcomes you're trying to achieve. And as long as you engage the staff and keep it as safe as you can for your staff. Yeah, is, it, is it expensive to do? So the, definitely having equipment. So we talk about um, high fidelity simulation and it's interesting because we, we think of fidelity as synonymous with technology. It isn't necessarily because I think high fidelity, making it as realistic as it can be, can happen without too much technology. However, the technology is fascinating. And, um, and I think what, what, is, what does cost and what will require an investment from health service is the human resource to actually do this. So it, a simulation team who can champion this across your organization because it is something that does need a team effort. Um, it's not enough to think you can do it marginally with, a, with just a few people. And then the other thing that is that can be expensive is equipment. So it's always nice to get, the, as you said, the, the skilled trainers, the fancy mannequins. Um, it does assist a little bit, but you can still do this and create a very real um, environment without having a lot of technology. The technology is just the icing on the cake. Yes, I think it's the energy that someone like you brings. <laughs> yeah, oh, that, that's, I'm very excited to hear about what you're doing. Uh, I'm really very excited, and, and the future, and I think you're right, it's going to be rolled out. It has to, it has mm -hmm. to be the way uh, to reduce errors and to, yes. and, and that cultural aspect. I, I can just see so many positives and, and, and advantages in it. Yeah, I think, uh, I think the one thing I say all the time is I feel like we need to be more proactive with our quality improvement versus just reactive. We do yeah. a lot of reactive quality improvement after an event happens, we actually need just as much effort proactively. Yes. I think the problem is that when we get, when we become doctors, everyone's very busy. There isn't a lot yes. of time. And uh, I am critical of the medical school training because in general, we're not, we're not being trained by people that have got diplomas in education. And, you know, I, I really have an issue with the way the training is. And uh, I do think that it's, it's, it's a lot of fact-based. It's not so practical often. And and there isn't simulation and the, the, I don't know, there isn't kind of like the the authority and the discipline, it seems to me. I've just been watching my son go through medical school. <laughs> that is not a good example. But uh, I, I can just, I, and I think this makes it would make it fun. You know, mm. it's wonderful being a team. It's much better being a team than being an individual, I think. You know, mm -hmm. kind of the responsibility gets shared a little bit and you can bounce problems off people, huh? You know, it's one of the things I love about about the work that I do in theatre is that I've got people around me. I can ask my nicest colleague and the nursing staff that you know that are with me that have been there a long time. You know, what do they think? And mm -hmm. uh, you know, when I'm working with Dr. Bill Shearer, you know, he's been very educated mm -hmm. and you know, incredibly intelligent man. And and we get uh, great discussions about what the clinical problem is and how we might manage it. And that's it's sort of it's like you know, it's I can just see the value of working in teams and and what you're bringing. Here's a question for you, Nancy. What, what would you uh, what would you advise a, a young doctor um, mm -hmm. you know, coming in coming into the hospital system? A bit of advice that maybe you wish you had had when you were a younger doctor. What, give us some pearls of wisdom. Uh, you're going to give a young doctor. They're coming in having a chat with you about their career and you know where they're headed. Uh, what, what sort of advice might you give them? So I think, and I do have chats with some of our junior doctors about this. So um, I think it's very important. In our training, we focus a lot on our clinical skills and our cl clinical knowledge, and that is absolutely essential for us to be able to deliver care to our patients. 
But we also need to be very mindful. And as we progress in our career, of all the other things around us that help us to deliver patient care. And the reality is that the human factors around us, the systems that we work in and the processes, the barriers that we face every day, um, the delays in our systems, these all affect our patient outcomes. We focus a lot just on our clinical know-how, which is again, essential as a baseline. But above that, when we're coming into a system, it is actually our role as doctors to try to improve the system in which we work. Yeah. It isn't just that we come to work to fit into our system. We should be constantly trying to identify ways to improve the system. And this is everything from our the equipment that surrounds us to how many phone calls we have to make to get something done for our patient, to who our, our communication with our fellow teams and fellow you know people across all the disciplines of the hospital. Um, because it takes a hospital to look after a patient, not just the doctor. That's beautiful. It's, it's a broad contribution. Um, Nancy, thank you so much for your time and your wisdom and, uh, and for your energy. And, uh, you know, uh, tip my hat to what you're doing there. It's just fantastic. Thank you, thank so, you much so much. Thank you so much. I'll say one last thing. We are happy to collaborate with anybody who wants to collaborate across Victoria to support this, to not just be at the Northern, but to be everywhere. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining me on this fascinating conversation with Dr. Nancy Sadka on simulation. Nancy has done an amazing job in bringing simulation alive, along with the executive team at the Northern Hospital. And uh, my interest has certainly been piqued by the conversation with her. And I would really be interested in seeing uh, this simulation of a variety of medical uh, problems being part of our CME for physician training and indeed perhaps surgical training and other forms of uh, general practice training. I really think it has an amazing degree of scope and, and benefit. Uh, please join me next week. We'll have a very interesting guest along and a new clinical problem that we'll be reviewing. Uh, during the podcast series, we'll be covering a wide range of topics across many specialty interests. The discussions are not intended as specific medical advice for patients, but as general information only and reflect the opinions of the guests interviewed. Requests for new topics to be reviewed and comments about the conversation you've listened to are welcomed, and they may be emailed to manager at gihealth.com.au. Thank you.